Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to episode 26 of the Partly Political Broadcast. I'm Tian Nduyeb and yeah, the podcast is back after several weeks away. Hopefully I have created more anticipation amongst you than a Frank Ocean album. Uh, I did try my best to release like a 45 minute visual album uh, before this podcast, um, but it would have just been of me in black and white shouting at the news over and over again while sitting in my pants. So, you know, I thought I'd spare you the pain. Uh, some of the weeks away uh, have been intentional, um, so sorry about that. That was sort of due to summer's silly season kicking in and, I guess, selfishly me wanting to watch the Olympics, you know, to see if Team GB were able to bring home enough gold that we could kickstart the UK's credit rating again. I think we nearly did it. Uh, did you enjoy the Olympics? Uh, I don't know. Um, I can't hear you. Uh, I think it is amazing how the deeply corrupt Brazilian government saw the state of their country, people in need of food, hygiene, shelter, you know, needing to deal with the Zika virus and they said okay we get what you need how about actually just having loads of people in swimsuits and do spinny things when they dive and they get medals for it democracy right there in action my favorite moment of the olympic closing ceremony was seeing shinzo abe the japanese prime minister dressed as super mario uh, mainly because it made me think of our prime minister theresa may and how she could only carry that off if she emerged from a tunnel dressed as the child catcher from chitty chitty bang bang um, but so, yeah, some of the weeks away, it was intentional, but also some of the, uh, the show uh, not being on hasn't been intentional, uh, including me calling up an interview a couple of weeks ago at the time that we agreed and they weren't able to chat because a leaking pipe meant that their kitchen was full of water. Uh, so, yeah, while I was tempted to make a sort of joke about them flooding me with information or, you know, something weak about WikiLeaks, uh, I just sort of rearranged and hopefully they're going to be on the show in a few weeks. Um but yeah, look, I mean, really, there's not been a lot going on in UK politics uh, during these summer months, has there? Everyone's had a bit of a break. I, mean, I suppose uh, Theresa May left Boris Johnson in charge of the country while she was away, which is a bit like leaving Kanye West in charge of your self-awareness group. Perhaps more curious was that Theresa May went to Switzerland for her holidays, a non-EU European country, for her trip. You know, as if to sort of check it out on the sly. Although I suspect it's more because her holiday probably just consisted of sitting in the screening room of a euthanasia clinic with a bag of popcorn having a great time. 
Former UKIP leader but eternal twat Nigel Farage grew a moustache. Probably just his body's defence to stop his nose smelling the constant bullshit he spews out. And the Labour leadership continues to be hugely depressing to the point where I almost wonder if the ballot papers are just going to say who would you most like to lose the general election in 2020? So on this week's show, there's a little bit of catch up. Uh, there's a bit of looking forward at terrifying things to come. And as per usual, there's at least one shit jingle. Uh, I've also uh, very excitedly got an interview with Felicity Spector at Channel 4 News uh, explaining the terrifying reality show of the US elections uh, and how we'll probably all lose. And I'm going to be looking at the tidbits of Brexit fallout information that we're very, very slowly getting and probably will be for the next 10 years. Um, but... Yeah, firstly, thanks as always for listening in. Um, and I promise this is now going to be back to regular episodes as often as I can uh, for the next few months. Uh, I've got a few guests lined up, all of which should be pretty interesting. Um, also, very quick plug for a few things. Firstly, my 2015 stand-up show, The World's Full of Idiots, Let's Live in Space, is about to be released online any day now. Uh, it was recorded in January of this year on cameras that have also been used to Star Wars Rogue One. Very exciting. So hopefully they haven't CGI'd in weird creatures around me. Um... So, uh, unfortunately, some of the show, thanks to the world sort of falling apart, uh, there's about 10% of it that's now out of date, but all the rest of it should still very much make sense. Um, so the best thing to do is sign up to my own mailing list at tnndm.co.uk and you'll get a wee post from me when it's out and I'll give you the proper link on this podcast next week too. Um, also, 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 uh, you might remember that pre-summer I held a charity gig for help refugees at Conway Hall in London with a stupidly nice bill of acts, including uh, Phil Jupiter, and Shabby Cause Sandy and Andy Zoltzman, people like that um well all the acts have agreed to let me use a tiny bit of their sets and i've made an mp3 of a sort of truncated version of the show that you can download for one pound from tinanduyeb.bandcamp.com which is a very hard link to say out loud uh, and all proceeds from that are going to go to the help refugees charity so please do check that out too Oh, and on advice from partly political broadcast helper, uh, Parpol Bro, uh, Matthew Hoss, we now have a PPB Facebook group. I have no idea what that means, uh, but if you do, please hunt it down and join in. Great. Right now, for a few bits that you may have missed. The Somerset-based nuclear power plant Hinkley Point has been given an unexpected setback at the end of July when the government decided to delay giving it the final go-ahead. This is probably due to them agreeing that too many people in the Somerset area already have six fingers, so it's not worth a fallout causing further mutations. Ha! I joke! And a very hack, terrible stereotype joke too. I very much expect complaints about this to go nuclear. Ha! Another terrible joke. I'll, I'll, I'll stop now. Uh, there are loads of arguments for Hinkley Point C to be built, including providing 7% of the UK's electricity, uh, which would allow other older nuclear power plants to be shut down. Um, the electricity's low carbon output would help climate change prevention targets, and it would provide 25,000 new jobs, and undoubtedly a load more Homer Simpson and Mr Burns memes about the UK. But bizarrely, part of the argument for Hinkley Point C is that it will also make the UK less reliant on imported energy, which sounds good, but the plant is going to be mostly owned by French company EDF and Chinese investors, so it's still going to come under their energy tariffs, probably costing UK customers exactly the same high prices. And really, what it'll actually just mean is that tons of UK taxpayers' money over the next 30 years is going to go towards French and Chinese companies, rather than us investing in British-based and therefore cheaper alternatives. The development of wind, tidal and solar energy has progressed hugely, and so it would make loads of sense for the government to actually stop Hinkley's development and invest in those instead. I mean, let's face it, all you'd need to do is hook a wind generator up to the House of Commons and you'd be able to collect enough hot air per PMQs to power the UK for years. 
Over the summer, Theresa May and the Education Secretary and part vampire Justin Greening announced that they were in favour of opening more grammar schools. Now, I'm sure many of you, after a brief look online or at texts you've been sent, are thinking, well, we bloody well need more grammar. There are far too many apostrophes that go array, and I just don't know anymore if things are possessive or contracted terms. Well, they're there, and yes, I spelt both of those theirs, T-H-E-Y apostrophe R-E on purpose. Ha! Deal with it, pedants. Uh, But for those of you who are too young to remember grammar schools, they are in fact actually a state school where pupils are only admitted based on ability after taking an 11 plus exam. And while there are always cases of people from deprived backgrounds doing well at schools like this, the overwhelming evidence is that they mostly only take children from privileged backgrounds whose parents are able to afford private tutoring to help their kids pass the 11+. Bringing them back just reinforces the idea of education being selective, uh, a two-tier education system, and creating further economic segregation. It's a very scary prospect for parents with young children. And really, if the government wants to promote the idea that some 11-year-olds are failures, then rather than give them tests, just do what I do and show them how much better your Pokemon Go collection is because you have your own phone and unlimited data, and then point and laugh at them all because they can't drive. Ha! The Labour leadership ballots are being sent out this week and party members can now vote if they joined up more than six months ago or were able to cough up 25 quid in time. Because let's not forget, there's nothing like showing you support the people than charging them more than two cinema tickets to gain access to democracy and watch something far more dull than even the Suicide Squad film. So far, the Labour campaigns have got more and more tedious with interviewers focusing on trivial pop culture questions rather than policies. Jeremy Corbyn was slated for not recognising Ant and Deck because, I mean, really, how can any leader understand just how dire the situation in the UK really is until you've seen our attempts at talent on a Saturday night? A dancing dog, is that what we've come to? Seriously, people. On music taste, Jezza said he likes Beethoven, while nothingness with glasses, Owen Smith said he likes the vaccines. Which I guess makes complete sense, what with Corbyn preferring movements and Smith constantly insisting he could prevent the party getting more sick of itself. Jeremy Corbyn has upset many by refusing to say if he'd back a NATO ally against the Russian defence, despite obviously pandering to the Brexit voters who don't want to help anyone outside of their own village. And meanwhile, Smith has said that the best way to deal with ISIS would be to get them round the table for talks, because, you know, that's likely to work, eh? I mean, just imagine, 2018 and ISIS have been defeated by having dinner at Owen Smith's house, and they backed down after he told them off for putting their elbows on the table more than once. At the time of recording this uh, podcast as well, a PR stunt from Corbyn's team has horribly backfired after a picture of him sitting on a train floor to show what many people go through on overcrowded trains was challenged by Virgin Trains, who provided footage of him walking past many empty seats. A very ill-thought-out move from his press team, yet again, though to be fair, having sat on a Virgin train seat only recently, the floor is a far more comfortable option. Owen Smith is backed by Ed Miliband, who lost the 2015 general election. Jeremy Corbyn is backed by Bernie Sanders, who is a failed US presidential candidate. And you start to wonder who's going to get Ryan Lochte on side first and walk on stage to Beck's 1993 hit, Loser. Ultimately, this is more a battle of ideologies than anything else, with Smith and the centre-right of the party wanting to fight fire with fire, undoubtedly leading to far more terrible fire, while Corbyn and the left of the party want to fight fire by talking to it and maybe calling it a friend. Personally, I'm still hoping a Disney's Robin Hood appears out of nowhere dressed as a crane and wins last minute, because otherwise chances are, with the PLP unwilling to work with Corbyn and many members threatening to leave if Smith gets in, there'll be no decent opposition for the foreseeable future. Will it be Clinton or will it be Trump? One's all mean and one speaks from his rum. One's quite ruthless, one has no brain, but one of them's gonna win the presidential campaign. Oh yeah, it's the US presidential campaign.
Across the pond, there is the glimmer of hope that the UK won't be the biggest chumps on the planet this year, but of course, it'd be at the cost of the well-being of the entire world, as Trump versus Clinton for the US presidency. Ever since Donald Trump insulted the parents of a Muslim-American soldier who died serving with US forces in Iraq, and then kicked a baby out of his rally for crying, presumably because those attending were confused as to which one was the presidential candidate, Trump's poll numbers have absolutely plummeted. Meanwhile, no one still likes Hillary Clinton, partly due to her being pro-business, pro-war in Iran, pro-just generally being so devoid of charisma there's a fear the US could be in danger of her being replaced by a robot or even just a vending machine without anyone noticing for years. It seems either way America is going to have a rough ride till 2020. You know, pretty much like the UK then. So what does it all mean? I mean, why on earth does the US presidential candidate seem to go on for so bloody long? And why do we care when at least a third of the US population probably doesn't even know where the UK is? Well, this week I spoke to Felicity Spector, who is a senior producer at ITN and Channel 4 News, and she is bang up to date on all the US election goings on. Now, I should mention that due to her job, she had to be impartial on opinions about the candidates, even though we all know that any sensible human being thinks Donald Trump is an angry racist Satsuma. So I had to ask Felicity questions that had not prompt a personal opinion, but I think she very clearly explains quite a lot about it all, just so you understand how this interview goes. Um, also, at one point during our chat, a car alarm went off. Uh, I've edited out me asking what it is because, frankly, you'd gain nothing hearing me asking that. And now that I've told you what it is, I've managed to waste exactly the same amount of your listening time anyway. <laughs> so, here's Felicity. So, at the moment, uh, it seems like Hillary Clinton is ahead in the uh, US election opinion polls. Um, despite it looking close, do you think... I mean, do you think it's clear that she's going to win now, or do you think there's still a chance that it could go to Trump? Well, at the moment, nobody has been as far behind. He's six points behind in the polls at the moment. And at this stage in the race, which is less than 100 days ago, and well after the Democratic Convention, which would have given her a bit of a bounce in the polls, nobody has been this far back and won the election in modern times. That's not to say he won't be able to do it. There are various scenarios. All the uh, election experts love coming up with various different plan C, plan X. If this happens and this happens, then he could still win. Basically, it's, it's more likely at the moment that Hillary Clinton will win by a landslide than Donald Trump will win. That doesn't mean it won't happen, though. These are all predictions and polls are very unscientific, as you know. Yeah, of course. Are they as, um, sort of, uh, are they as accurate as they are in the UK, the US polls, or is it a, a slightly different system? No, it's well, it's all the same system, isn't it? And the trouble is with polls is that people, uh, that, you know, a lot of people answer one way because they think that that's a better answer. So you might have people who actually support Donald Trump who feel maybe a bit embarrassed about it, who might just say they don't know or they're not sure or uncommitted at this point. It, polls tend to uh, under-report um, people who change their minds at the last minute. There's just no way of knowing how they're going to go. So a lot of people who um, who might be considering voting for Henry Clinton because they've seen a lot of bad headlines about Donald Trump, if that then switches, if there are bad headlines about Hillary Clinton, who knows what could come up. There could be uh, you know, more on the email scandal, um, some kind of October surprise, which uh, uh, WikiLeaks has been threatening um, to, to reveal more stuff from her uh, Clinton Foundation emails. Um, anything like that could happen and suddenly swings back the other way. It seems like uh, that there's that both candidates are actually quite unpopular in terms of sort of US elections. Um, so, I mean, for a start, is there a reason that Trump's suddenly become a lot less popular very recently? Um, 
Is is that to do with? I mean, there's been a number of things that he's said and done, and do you think that's changed public opinion, or what's the reason that it's suddenly because they were closer uh, to begin with, weren't they, in the polls? They were very close, and it was Trump's been ahead as well. Um, especially after his own convention, he, you know, you'd expect that that uh, candidates get a bounce of, uh, from from their own party convention because obviously that whole thing is staged to go their way. And even though there were some some, uh, some big mishaps during the Republican convention, like Ted Cruz coming on and uh, completely slagging him off, um, you know, he still got quite a big boost from you know the. the the speeches that he was giving and that his family were giving and so on. However, he's made these huge gaffes in the last uh, couple of weeks. And, and some people who've been following the campaign closely would say this is entirely expected. He's, the campaign has been run entirely by him. He doesn't like people telling him what to do. That's how he's run his whole business empire. He thinks he knows better. Um, he's, he's taken advice from people who he trusts and then got rid of them because, you know, it, it turns out that uh, they've been telling him stuff he doesn't want to hear. Um, and the problem with doing that is that you, you go down a very narrow route sometimes. You think you're right all the time. Uh, if, if stuff's going wrong, you kind of ignore that and you fire people who tell you that uh, stuff is going wrong. So it doesn't really get you out of this hole that you're busy digging for yourself. So all these bad headlines that we've been seeing in recent uh, weeks, the family whose army captain was killed in Iraq, Khan's... Mm. Um, not endorsing top Republicans like Paul Ryan, really important people in the party, and then sort of suddenly endorsing them again the next day because you've realised that was a massive gaff. Um, having a crime baby thrown out of the rally, I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. there's no depth. And all this kind of stuff. And when you look at the things that people dislike about Donald Trump, the thing that they dislike the most is um, is this, this fact that he thinks he's the only person who can fix America. And Hillary Clinton went quite big on this in her speech. I and mean, she was saying, "We're not a, you know, we're not a monarchy. We're a country who needs a single ruler. You know, our government is by the people. We, we solve our own problems." And that, that's quite an American thing. Mm. Uh, and it's something that's that, that's played to those worries that a lot of people who were undecided had about Donald Trump. Um, and it hasn't helped him. And what the problem is is the kind of campaign he's running was very effective among four right wing. Uh, supporters. He loves having rallies full of his own people. He gets off on it. He gets uh, massive energy from all that endorsement. The trouble is that doesn't play very well in general election because sure. people are much more moderate. Well, I guess it's a sort of echo chamber scenario, isn't it? In the, in those rallies. Yeah, I mean it's it, it's great when you're running in the primaries and you're going to win the Republican nomination, um, and. Looking at the electorate in America, Trump plays very well among white, white voters, without an uh, education, and older voters, um, men and women. So it's not that he all women hate him and they're going to support Hillary Clinton. Right. He doesn't do it all well. He's, he's virtually no in the black uh, electorate, something like one percent, uh, and the Hispanic voters similarly quite skewed towards Hillary Clinton, probably. 70, 30, something like that. However, the, there aren't that. The last election in 2012, Obama already won a massive amount of those votes. He can't do that much better. Right. He can do better than Mitt Romney did among white voters and still win uh, the election if, if uh, those other uh, ethnic minority um, parts of the electorate didn't particularly turn out in such big numbers as they did for Obama because they're not so enthusiastic. 
And Hillary Clinton's problem is because she is also hugely unpopular. A lot of people feel they've got to choose between the, the worst of both worlds, you know what I mean, which one they like the least. And that doesn't generate an awful lot of enthusiasm. So are those, are those the key voters that they need to that they need to get in order to to win the, the ethnic minorities? Because you know, in the UK, we have our sort of swing voters, often quite sort of middle class, when they'll go Tory or Labour. Is in in the US, is that the are the important votes the ethnic minority vote, or are there certain votes that they or certain areas that they need to be aiming at in order to win? What's what's the key areas? Okay, well, the US system is completely different because it's not a popular election. So that means it's not a question of who wins the most votes overall. You have to win 270 electoral college votes. And those are decided by each state has a different number of electoral college votes, depending on how big they are or the size of their population. Now, you'll hear all the experts talking about a roadmap, uh, a path to victory. And that means that the candidates have to work out how to reach 270. Nothing else matters. It doesn't matter how many percentage votes you get big your margin of victory is in California or Texas, which uh, you know, once you've won it, you've won it. Um, you don't, they, they don't split their vote, both states. You just get all or nothing. Right. So what they need to do is win all their, all their states, which um, are part of their, their, their core base. So there, there are states that always vote one way or the other. So, for example, uh, California or somewhere, or um, New York is a pretty solid Democrat, called, called those blue states, because that's their party colour. Uh, red states, which are pretty much always Republican, like Texas or um, somewhere like Kansas or somewhere, if you lost those, you'd be doing really, really badly. Um, and then there are these swing states in the middle, could go either way. And those are the ones, the really big ones, the important ones, like Florida, Pennsylvania, uh, Virginia, Georgia. Uh, those are the ones which you pretty much got to win to win the election. Your, your core states aren't enough. So it depends what your strategy is. So in this particular election, because it's so polarised, uh, Donald Trump will be concentrating on winning as much of the white vote as he can. Right. Hillary Clinton will have to get out some of the white vote. She's not ignoring that. Um, she's certainly the well-educated and the young. That's where she needs to generate a lot of support because there aren't enough ethnic minority voters to win the election. We keep saying all oh, the Hispanic vote, there are more Hispanics. That population is growing, it's true, but... The number of white voters is still some 7% of the electorate. But it's not like you can win with the minority ethnic vote. Right. Um, it might sway some states a little bit. But uh, as I said, Obama already did really well in that constituency. He was the first black candidate and there was massive enthusiasm for him. The turnout was really high, much higher than in, in previous years. Um, this year it is the most ethnically diverse electorate. The trouble with saying things like that is that people think that means that the majority of voters aren't white, and that's not the case. Right. Yeah, because America is still a majority. And, and there's, there's loads of states which are traditionally Republican, which Hillary Clinton is now polling very well in. And that there, there are various people who are saying this means that she could win a huge landslide. But all it takes is something like a three-cent shift in votes, and it could go the other way. So it's, it's all almost within the margin of error. So it's, it's quite hard to sort of be completely firm about this. If Trump continues to carry on as he is and campaign down this very sort of extremist sort of populist tack, it doesn't look great for his prospects, which is why you see a lot of leading Republicans massively panic or trying to disassociate themselves. Because at the same time as the presidential election, you've got lots of uh, senatorial congressional elections 
and they don't want to lose their seats because Trump is ruining the reputation of the Republican Party. So that's why you see a lot of people sort of saying that they're not supporting him or they're not endorsing him and that their race has nothing to do with him. And so does that mean, I mean, if Trump does lose uh, as drastically as, as he might, I mean, what does that mean for the Republican Party in the future? Well, both parties actually are in a lot of trouble. We've all now suddenly forgotten that uh, Bernie Sanders uh, led a very successful populist campaign within the Democratic um, Party. Hmm. He came, you know, he didn't come close in the end, but he did very much better than expected in, during the primaries. And it's pushed Hillary Clinton quite far to the left. The problem with that is it, she's now got faced with rather an impossible coalition to bring together. You need to get the disaffected Republicans who don't like Donald Trump and keep all those left-wing radicals who supported Bernie Sanders. That's quite a broad church that the Democratic Party could become. But even if she wins, she's got this party which has an almost natural split in it. So you've got, and both parties have got establishment versus populists within them. Republicans as well. The Republicans have got many problems, one of which is the fact that they are doing incredibly badly with these minority voters whose populations are growing. And even though that they you know, they can do well in their traditional states without that, it's just not good in a modern democracy for one of the two major parties to be quite so uh, mono-ethnic, if you like. I don't know what the phrase sure. is officially used. They need to attract younger people. They, you know, obviously, because there are, there are more younger people, um, and older people are going to you know, be a, a, a less significant part of the, the voting population in future years. So they do need to go through some kind of change. Maybe a post Donald Trump, if he lost very badly, that might give them the kickstart they need to become a different kind of party. But it didn't happen last time. All these people who asked Mitt Romney lost said, "Oh, we're going to have to change." Uh, and they thought that people like Marco Rubio, who's a young Hispanic senator, would be the new face of the Republican Party. But that didn't happen. Yeah, it didn't, didn't work out very well uh, at all. I mean, because I, mean, I think a lot of the, the listeners to this are, are UK-based, and we'll, we always sort of think of America as a two-party country, you know. Um, are there... I mean, could this mean that another party might have a chance? I know there, there isn't a US Green Party that's got a bit of support, isn't there? And um, I don't really know of many others. Uh, you know, could this possibly create um, uh, a, an opportunity for other smaller um, political parties in the States? I, I think personally not. The trouble with the American system is it's very much based around the two-party system. They're not parties in the sense that, really, that the British parties are. They're not so ideologically driven. Labour and Conservatives have come from very different traditions than the Democrats and Republicans. There are quite left-wing Republicans, there are quite right-wing Democrats. Right. The southern states, the Democrats, you know, look to us quite like Conservatives, and some of the states, Maine or um, New Jersey or something, and the Republicans there would be quite liberal. Um, people cross the floor a lot more often on, in votes in, in, in Congress because they support different bits of different bills. They generally are driven more by support for their own district than they are by some sort of party loyalty. When you look at election posters in America, it doesn't say Democrat in massive letters, it'll be blue, but it won't say, oh, Democrat, vote Smith. It'll have to Smith because people vote for the personality. Right. Um, the American system is mainly driven by money, and I think it would be extremely hard for a, a third party unless it was funded by some massively rich billionaire. If Donald Trump set up his own party, just ran by himself, um, 
the kind of huge amount of cash needed to generate an American election campaign. I mean, look at how long they campaigned for, you know, for and a half. Donald Trump has funded his own campaign thus far, although they've started losing money because they've not run any adverts in any of the swing states. They've not got any sort of ground campaign offices and people working on the ground or doing all that work, contacting voters um, face-to-face. They've not done any of that work at all. It's completely unprecedented. Wow. Hillary Clinton has had these people in place for like, well, since she, since she left office almost in, in 2012. But certainly for the last year and a half, very seriously, has hundreds and hundreds of people across the country spent millions of dollars at adverts during the Olympics. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Um to see, actually, this could show you whether whether that kind of everyone always thinks who adverts from them. Maybe they're not that effective after all. But if they, this would be the first time we've had a sort of chance to see whether they really are effective in reaching people who otherwise would hear about the election or would hear the issues. So, so yeah. So, regardless whether Trump, I mean, it's very hard for a third party. I think if they spent a billion dollars, roughly, on an election campaign, wow. uh, a general election campaign each side, you know, imagine who could come up with that kind of money across the country. I mean, you could run in one state, perhaps, or one district. But to have that kind of nationwide reach, is a nationwide organisation and structure, is, is pretty difficult. We'll be back with Felicity in a minute, but first... Brexit fallout! Brexit fallout! Brexit fallout! What is your ideal Brexit? I mean, personally, personally, the, the one that I'd like best, my favourite one, I think we should moonwalk out of Europe so it looks like we're actually walking in and therefore please absolutely everyone until they realise what's happened. Sadly, though, the moonwalking option doesn't appear to be on the table, probably because you'd slide off. But instead, while Parliament's been in recess, the team in charge of Brexit have been making lots of grumbles. And not just because they've reverted to solely British grub on principle. It looks like there are two main options to get us out of Europe. 
The first, which, let's be honest, isn't really an option, is a snap Brexit, or a unilateral continuity, which is the hardline Brexit option. It's so-called snap Brexit, not because if it matches someone else's EU deal, then we win the game, or because anything will break other than the UK economy. Instead, it's called a snap Brexit because it'd be super quick, the UK would simply tell the EU, bye, and then we wouldn't impose any trade tariffs unless the EU did it first. Theresa May would have to trigger Article 50, finally, then pass an Act of Parliament which would annul the 1972 European Committees Act, and then bang, the UK is gone. However, while this is what Brexiteers want, trade officials in Brussels say this would be completely and utterly illegal, and would break all of the UK's treaty obligations. Not only would that be bad for trading with the EU, but it would cause other countries like China and India to probably look at us a little bit unfavourably considering our negotiation skills. I mean, you know how when you're about to buy that cardboard cutout of Boris Johnson off eBay so you can improve your dart skills, and then you see the seller has really low ratings? Yeah, it's sort of like that, but you know, way more important, even though people often underrate how much I'd like better dart skills. As long as the UK is still an EU member, EU law applies, even in leaving, and a snap Brexit could mean that EU lawyers take the UK to court. Plus, the UK would face immediate external tariffs on things like food and cars. So we'd be getting sued and have absolutely no money, and we wouldn't be able to afford to get a drive through McDonald's milkshake in order to cope with it. The other, more likely option for Brexit is far less clear, mainly because no one on the Brexit side really knows what they want, as was made obvious by their entire campaign. And not only that, but they don't have the people power to really do anything about it yet either. The Department of Exiting the European Union, or DEXEU, which sounds a bit like a sum that when worked out equals a massive shitstorm, they've only hired 150 of the staff that they need out of 250 to 300, and most of those staff have already been borrowed from other parts of the civil service, which, due to cuts, has already got an understaffing issue. So what they're going to have to do is probably hire in from private companies, which is going to cost a ton, or they're going to have to get them from abroad, which isn't going to help any of those promises of lowering migration. If anything, yes, Alanis Morissette, that's how you do it. The Brexit may now increase it. Also, there are conflicts within the team behind Brexit, quell surprise, with a leaked letter revealing that total and utter disgrace, disgrace, disgrace Liam Fox made a power grab to take responsibility from Foreign Secretary Boris Johnson. Which does feel a little bit pointless, as you could probably just say, Boris, over there, and while he's distracted, walk in and take it. This is the disgraced Liam Fox, who is a disgrace, and had to retract a press release recently saying that the UK would be governed by World Trade Organisation rules until other possibilities are negotiated. Of course, what he didn't realise is that World Trade Organisation tariffs would ruin a tonne of UK industries due to high charges, and this is all further proof that Liam Fox shouldn't be allowed to say anything, shouldn't really be allowed back in government, or really outside his home, or anywhere ever, because he's a disgrace. What's also not been taken into consideration until now is what the other countries will do or what they'll allow us to do. There's long been talk that the UK could join the uh, European economic area a bit like Norway, but Norway has already said it's not sure that we should be allowed. Because if we join the EU Free Trade Association, then, you know, a big country doing that like us uh, could change the balance within the group and possibly make things worse for all the other countries within it, as we might dominate trade. Not only that, but joining the EEA would require us keeping free movement and would largely just be like us staying in the EU, but without a say as to what any of the rules or regulations will be. Yeah, taking back control. Meanwhile, Angela Merkel has been meeting with other European leaders to discuss protecting the EU from the aftershock of Brexit. Meanwhile, Angela Merkel has been meeting with other European leaders to discuss protecting the EU from the aftershock of Britain Brexiting. 
It's not yet known what has been discussed, but bilateral agreements to keep links with the UK's intelligence services look like they'll stay. Although post-Brexit, you wonder if they really think much of our intelligence at all anymore anyway. So if Theresa May is smart, she'll carefully negotiate with each EU country about what the future holds. Meanwhile, the vote leave lot will argue amongst themselves about what they actually want. And the Conservatives MEP Daniel Hannan will keep banging on about how all we really want is to have our blue British passports back, you know, so they match the depression we'll all have during the inevitable endless post-Brexit recession. Some are saying Article 50 will be triggered in spring next year, giving the UK two years to leave. Others are saying it won't be till 2018 or even 2019, with some forecasters saying the whole Brexit process could take up to 10 years. So on the plus side, if you were for Remain but you're really quite old, you might still be in the EU for the rest of your life. What we do know so far is that the British fruit and vegetable industry is already suffering due to migrant workers not being able to send home as much money now the pound has fallen so they're not bothering to do the jobs. Uh, the NHS looks like it's going to lose a lot of expert staff as EU citizens unsure about their status are leaving to work elsewhere. And the housing market has fallen sharply, which might be bad if you're a homeowner or not if you're not. But most importantly, and here's the little silver lining to every cloud, it means that Foxton's shares have dropped, which is brilliant. I mean, if Brexit means that I can watch as repo men remove those shitty beer fridges and fluorescent lights from those smug estate agents, and it allows me to just wander in as they're doing it and say, ooh, it's very spacious in here, isn't it? Then frankly, it might well have been worth it. And now, back to Felicity. Because it seems like there's a real kind of... Uh kind of political dissonance going on in in the US at the moment much like uh, I suppose in the UK uh, obviously with 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 Trump but also with uh, Bernie Sanders popularity um I mean well well firstly sort of why why has why is there that kind of animosity towards towards uh, general politicians but also do you think part of that is to do with the amount of money that's spent in politics when there are parts of the country that don't have much money at all it seems quite ridiculous they're spending all this money on television adverts just to get in and then that money instead won't be distributed around the country is that does any of the animosity kind of come from that i don't think the money um, the, the money aspect i don't think people are really bothered about the amount that's spent on the campaign people don't like the idea that their politicians might be in hot to special interest so the, the problem with the money-raising side isn't so much that, oh, they've spent this much on the adverts, it's that they've had to raise it by being hobnobbing with all the kind of, you know, big business uh, interests or uh, special interest campaigns who were lobbying on, on one side or another of a big major issue like oil or something like that. So that people, that people don't like the fact that because politicians rely on money from these very powerful people, they may be influenced to do things that those powerful people want to happen mm. rather than stuff which ordinary people want to happen because they, they kind of owe them some kind of payback. Obviously, politicians deny that they do any of that kind of thing, but given how life works, people are actually thinking, well, he's given them a million pounds, he's going to expect something in return. Sure. The other side of it is that because the Republican Party and the Democrats have been at such loggerheads during the whole of Obama's presidency, that's brought a lot of, and, and to some extent under, under Clinton, that's brought a lot of animosity and uh, partisanship um, and just general political logjam to Washington, which means it's now got a, it's, it's kind of a dirty word now among people because all they've seen is nothing happening, gridlock, because the politicians are just arguing. The American system is meant to work by consensus. 
reason they have these three parts of government. They have the Supreme Court, they have the presidency, and they have Congress. And no one's supposed to have supreme power over the other. It's meant to have all these checks and balances built in. It relies on the fact that the president and the con and Congress will work together mm. to come up with the best solution, rather than imposing, like in, in, our, in our system, we have well, as a minority government, you know, the Conservatives have won majority, they have a mandate, the stuff they promised in their manifesto, they will push through because they have a majority of MPs, and MPs will be whipped to vote in favour of, of government policies. Mm -hmm. That's not the case in the States. They have to win those arguments you know, on, the, on the floor of the House in committee stages and in all sorts of long, very complicated votes. Uh, I think Obama's health care policy took you know, a long time to push through and wasn't the same as the, you know, by the end of the process, they had to make a compromise. Even appointing new Supreme Court justices, you know, the Republicans are determined to block even the very, the very moderate by who Obama suggested, because they just now want to block everything, because they hate everything that the, that the Obama administration stands for. So that's it's that's sort of led to the you know, all they see is nothing happening because these people are arguing, and you know, meanwhile we're waiting for someone to solve the massive economic problems that we're facing, there's all this terrorism going on abroad, there's a pretty serious fit happening and politicians are arguing about some clause in the budget or locking this appointment and that's what they're, you know, they, they look at as a massive waste of time. Do, do you think that's led to some of the anger, because uh, again opinion on Obama has been quite divided uh, across America, um, seemingly between, you know, right wing and more sort of centre-left wing, I think, but, but do you think part of the anger was the fact that it seemed like Republican Congress blocked a lot of things that he was trying to push through. Uh, it sort of feels like the last four years has been quite a sort of zombie government in a way. Um, and, you know, is that, do you think that's where some of the anger must have come from? Well, this is the problem. I mean, the, you know, people, a lot of people were, I, I think, unfairly disappointed in, in what Obama's managed to achieve. Oh, he's done nothing in his presence. I mean, it's achieved, you know, astonishingly a lot. And actually now, the end of the very end of his presidency, uh, which quite often happens once somebody is out of that daily political spotlight and the, the, the candidates have taken that sort of the news headlines over, he's, he's really popular. He's got incredibly back to the kind of high ratings he enjoyed at the, sort of the peak of his presidency. Um, he said when he was elected, I remember we were there in, in 2008 when he gave his speech, at the inauguration, don't imagine I'm going to do everything that I've promised. It's not as easy as that. If you were ho all these hopes you've got of is fantastic, but I'm not going to be able to solve everything. And no one wants to listen because it was this incredibly euphoric moment. But that's true. The way the American system is set up, he didn't have that mandate to kind of just, you know, enact all the, his policies. That's, you know, that's basically, he doesn't have that free and executive power just to sort of push through all the things that people voted for him to achieve. Unfortunately, that's not how it works. Or fortunately, perhaps, you know, it's, they would never have a sort of autocratic system or a sort of majority rule where a whole minority of people feel that they're completely disenfranchised. Sadly, because of the, the huge, as I say, the huge partisanship and the, the, and the kind of impasse which uh, has been reached between in, in, in Congress, Obama sort of came to power saying, I want to reach out to my colleagues on the other side. I, I'm not about confrontation. But they didn't want to, to play that game, um, and that meant that you know, there's been all this argument, and obviously that pushed people to more of an extreme. Um, because Obama's the first black president, um, a lot of the possibly latent 
racism that was under the surface has come to the surface. So you've seen a lot of um, those sort of racist attitudes expressed more publicly. There's been all those, you know, the, the, the conflict between police and, and black communities, which have been sort of fermenting away for a long time, it came to the surface. At high profile um, meetings and things like that. And Obama's made very powerful speeches about how he wants to heal those those divisions in America, but they're there. And, and, um, and there's not a lot one person can do to. I mean, you know, segregation wasn't that long ago. To, yeah. To, you know, very awful history in the states of slavery and all that kind of thing. And those things still have consequences today. One can only hope that because the younger generation are a lot more tolerant, um, there's a lot more. Uh, I won't say progressive politically, but a lot more sort of open and, and progressive and with a small p, if you like, attitude. Those kind of things will become less of a, a scar, if you like, on America's landscape. Sure. And and do you think, um, similarly, Obama was the first black president and that's racial issues obviously being very tense in the US recently, but will, uh, if, if Hillary becomes president, being the first female president, do you think that's going to have an impact on the US politically as well? It's interesting because that hasn't been so much of a thing. I mean, when she was running last time, it was almost like that was a big deal that a, a woman had got that far. I think now people just assume there will be a woman president and the reason that not all women are massively behind her is because not all women are, uh, support her and they think, well, there'll be a woman president, I just don't want this woman president. Sure. In a way, that's a good thing. It's a kind of a, it's normalised it. I think people have seen a lot of, there's quite a few high-profile women governors. America still does very badly in terms of the number of women who are in high office. Um, I think it's something like 53rd in the world or something, which isn't great. But... This election, all the headlines have been about Donald Trump. It's not been about the historic, amazing sort of breaking of a glass ceiling by having a, a woman from a major party. It's been all about Donald... I mean, four out of five headlines probably about Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah. It's very much his election. Um, the, the good thing is maybe that it's not a big deal that she's a woman. It's all about her as a candidate, as, as a as person, not the fact that she's a woman. Yeah, sure. Because it's, well, why wouldn't she be treated the same as any other candidate? Yeah, that's good. That is very good. Um, and and what just um, what because we, we, I always find it very interesting that here in the UK we follow the US elections quite closely, and we don't follow other countries' elections perhaps anywhere near as closely. Why why does this election matter to us in the UK? Why why are we that bothered with it? Well, I think I mean partly it's because the characters are so colourful and. It's almost like a, a sort of punch and cheesy show, isn't it? You can look at it, you can think, blimey, we think we've got problems. Look at this lot. <laughs> um, I mean, it is, you know what I mean? It's just like, it's, it's quite a, it's, it's like the biggest sideshow on earth or something. And obviously America matters. It's like the most, you know, it's most, the biggest, the world's biggest superpower. It's our main partner in, in uh, NATO. Um, you know, they provide a lot of the, Peacekeeping, you know, the, the peacekeeping capability are our major partners in, in the, when we're trying to negotiate um, trade deals. Now that we're going to be leaving the EU, we need the Americans to be, uh, you know, a useful ally. Um, things like Syria. I mean, big world events. You need the Americans on side. You need somebody who's going to be acting in the interests of the rest of the world. Um, a lot of people say, why do we bother covering American elections? But it's, just, it's, it's, it's quite fun because it's sort of like you can observe it from afar. Sure. Uh, 
and it's such a different system and you've got such huge characters and there's all these high profile debates and you know there's these hilarious sort of photo opportunities where the candidate has to pose in a diner sort of pretending to flip pancakes and all this nonsense and uh, go out with people with cowboy hats at the back and so on and you know it, it's all quite I don't know, it's, it's sort of like a, a distraction from the kind of grimness of, of every day you turn on uh, our news program that I, I sometimes go into work and I think oh god this is all a bit grim for people to watch isn't it you know let's hope some light relief and uh, sometimes the American election <laughs> Yeah, he's, uh, from a comedy point of view, there's many comedians right now that we're all sort of going, oh, it'd be awful if Trump gets in, but if he gets in, then we've got a lot of material for the next four years, <laughs> you know, makes it very easy for us. True. yeah. 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 Um, but just also, um, just as a kind of side note to that, because obviously the US has a big impact on the rest of the world uh, in general, but... Trump seems to want to make the America kind of more insular and block everyone out. And, and Hillary's already mentioned that she would attack Iran several times. Do you think, um, kind of in this now post-Chilcot report world, that uh, the US election might have an impact um, kind of on, on, on the Middle East and, and in terms of the wars and in terms of uh, conflicts in the rest of the world over the next four years? Well, it's really hard to predict. I mean, obviously, Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State and then, you know, in that job, spent her you know, four years going around being America's main diplomat abroad. Um, there are many people who think that she achieved nothing, that uh, she didn't, uh, that, you know, she backed all these, you know, situations which America has now found itself the bad guy, um, that she did nothing to um, really help bring about any kind of change in the Israel-Palestine uh, conflict and so on. On the other hand, there is a limit to what... America can and should do. It's not an interventionist nation in, in, in the widest sense. It doesn't go marching in with ground forces anymore because of, you know, what happened in Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, it's quite wary of that kind of tension. Um, it, it, it can do a lot of harm if, if it goes down the wrong path. And I think a lot of people in America are worried about Donald Trump saying America doesn't want to back the other NATO allies anymore because they do want to be part of some kind of international organization because you can't be just one country on its own i think it's it, it, they want the, you know people want america to stand up for democratic values around the world they don't necessarily want it to invade other countries to bring that about but they want to be that kind of force for good um we will probably now remember you know that well there's sort of premature Obama being off given the nobel peace prize because obviously yeah. all those things he tried to do weren't properly achievable. I mean, it was a you know an amazing speech that you know those speeches he made needed for trying to reach out to different communities in the Middle East. In an ideal world, that would be something which would be a really positive force. But unfortunately, with the rise of, of ISIS and the various terror groups, which aren't playing by the old rules of the Cold War and so on, America's just got to find a way of becoming a force for good without being. Uh, world policeman because that that's not something which which exists anymore. I think that's the trouble with someone like Donald Trump who doesn't have that diplomatic bone in his body. Um, so no one can see how that would that would be anything uh, aggressive or any, any way of solving the kind of problems which exist because countries don't trust each other and can't work together. 
Sure. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it, I do always feel like Obama mainly got the Nobel Prize for just not being George Bush. Apart from uh, Channel 4 News, obviously, uh, are there any other websites, blogs that people or the listeners can follow, um, you know, if they're interested in the election? Anything that you'd particularly recommend uh, reading up or checking out? There are some really, really good podcasts, actually, I have to say. There's some really good ones, and they're not all sort of, like, completely... I mean, there's a website for people who are, like, massively interested called 538, Um as if it's, it's, it does all the kind of um, election polling and they, they, it's very sort of scientific. If you like looking at numbers and you like knowing uh, exactly what, you know, what this week's poll shows and how it's, how it's different from this time four years ago and what could happen in Ohio, you know, if the vote went this way, that one's great. Um, but if you want to read, if you want to listen to something, uh, some of the podcasts that are, that are really good, then um, I could recommend Slate. Uh, Slate is a kind of an online magazine. They do a weekly podcast um, called The Gabfest, which uh, will give you uh, quite a nice, a bit like a magazine style, and they do all sorts of different, three or four different topics each week. Um, there's another really fun uh, podcast called Off Message, which um, is another big American political magazine called Politico. Um, and he, uh, Glenn Thrush, is a chief guy, interviews different people each week. Sometimes people from the campaign, we interviewed Hillary Clinton, um, he's done Bernie Sanders' campaign manager, um, he's done the speaker of the, the, the House, he does um, a guy who works really closely with um, Donald Trump. So he's got all sorts of different people and he does kind of a long interview with them and it's more of a chat. That one's quite fun. Um, and if you just want a kind of general um, look at what's going on and uh, the New York Times has now also started doing um, a podcast as well and they'll just take quite a straightforward issue but do it in a quite interesting way. Um, so yeah, I, I quite like those because you can just listen to them while you're on the, the, the bus or the train or whatever. Yeah, those those are very good recommendations. I, there is part of me going, can I recommend other podcasts on my podcast? What if they listen to them instead of me? Yeah, um, but yeah. <laughs> Beginners, I suppose, the New York Times one, the run-up. That's quite a good place. The run-up. The slate one, because it's quite, um, it's quite chatty. Sure. Um, and then if you're really, really keen, you can you can go into these sort of very nerdy sites like 538.com. So, big thanks to Felicity Spector at ITN and Channel 4 News for that. Hopefully that clears up a few things for any curious election watchers. Um, Felicity asked me to warn you that she does mostly tweet pictures of food on her Twitter and Instagram, at Felicity Spector. Um, but they're very good pictures of food. And you can find some of her articles and research on the Channel 4 News website, so do check all of those things out. And also check out all the podcasts and sites that she recommends too. I am in the process of downloading and listening to all of them, uh, and as yet, I haven't done any of it, but I will do. I've got a very interesting guest and something a little bit different next week, but as always, I'm keen to hear who you'd like me to chat to or what areas I should try and speak to people in. You know, subject areas, I mean. I don't want you getting in touch saying, interview someone in a little car parked in, and that is not helpful. So do drop me a line at partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com, at parpolbro on Twitter, or parpolbro group, whatever it is, or page on Facebook. It turns out there are loads of risks to having a seven-day NHS service in the way Gormless Lama impersonator and Health Secretary Jeremy Hunt wants it to be. Because yes, there is already a seven-day NHS service, and yes, we have been through this a lot. Funny how nothing seems to change. Leaked documents show that there is a painful lack of detail in Jeremy Hunt's plan, which yes, I'm sure no one ever is remotely surprised about. 
The problems include overstretching and overworking of staff, the fact that patients probably won't report any difference or improvements in services out of hours or at the weekend anyway, and that it probably won't affect rates of death on a weekend because that's when people go for severe emergencies because you don't want to take your weekend off to pop to the hospital for something minor. And of course, very important, the NHS employs 55,000 staff from the EU, so a Brexit may mean that each hospital only has three very stressed doctors having to fix each other up in between patients in order to get through the weekend. Jeremy Hunt's promise that it will cost £10 billion to implement a full seven-day service have also been rejected, and all in all, it's looking very likely that Jeremy Hunt has been entirely misleading Parliament and junior doctors and the public. Either that, or I want what he's been prescribed, as whatever's getting him through those sort of confident delusions would help us all get through the next four years of this shitty, shitty Parliament. And that's it for this week's Partly Political Broadcast. Uh, next week, the PPB questions should return. And as I said, uh, I've got a rather interesting guest lined up too. Uh, if you've enjoyed the show, please, please give us a review on iTunes. It does actually really help. There's been some nice ones on there. Thank you for that. Uh, and do drop me a line at Bro on Twitter, Bro Group or page on Facebook and Partly Political Broadcast at gmail.com. Uh, about, well, anything you like, really. Uh, politics, uh, what you've been watching on TV. I'll be honest, I don't have a lot on in September. It'd just be nice to know you exist. Uh, also, a mega huge thanks this week to Mark Struthers uh, for sound editing on the interviews. He's done it for the last few episodes now. He did it for the uh, charity MP3 I spoke about at the beginning of the podcast. Um, Mark also does his very, very own fun podcast all about Stockton Heath called, wait for it, Radio Stockton Heath. Uh, it's really lovely. Um, he interviews all sorts of people in the area about all sorts of things. Uh, do give it a listen at radiostockton.podbean.com. This week's episode has been brought to you by the numbers 24-7 and an open letter to Jeremy Hunt telling him that's not possible and that he's a dick. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods, for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.